come by the church, and uh, he'd bring a stack of cash and lay it on preacher's desk to soothe his conscience. And uh, I asked Brother Doug one time, I, uh, he'd come by and he told me he'd come by and left a stack of cash. And I said, you going to keep it? He said, yeah, the devil's had it long enough. Amen. And, uh, and he said, we're going to use it in the work of God. And he would. I never will forget one day, uh, Brother Doug, we were talking and preacher said this. He said uh, that oh, he had come by and brought some money. And he said, uh, and he said, uh, he said, now, Doug, he said, you, you've witnessed to me all these years. And he said, I ain't never told you how to run the church. And, and Brother Doug said, yeah, I, I appreciate that. He said, because I wouldn't listen to you know how. He said, well, I know you wouldn't. He said, but I, I got some advice I think would help you at the church. And Brother Doug said, I thought, what's this going to be, you know? He said, well, all right, give me advice. He said, you need to start knocking. Of course, you have to understand our church was very well known for door knocking and soul winning. And we had visitation on Thursday. We had visitation on Saturday. And uh, we had visitation. If if the wind just changed direction, preacher would call. We I think we need to have visitation. Amen. It's just that was just him. And anyhow, he said you need to start knocking on some doors that's got paint on them. And what he was talking about is he said uh, he said you go after all these poor people and all these down and out and destitute people. He said you go after all these people that ain't got no money. And anyhow, uh, but I could tell you stories today. I could tell you stories of what God did. Uh, took my pastor in that little old church when he took it uh, back in the um, early 80s. The pastor that was before him had gotten into some trouble and had financially bankrupted the church. They were over almost $300,000 in debt. Now, I know that's not, that's not big money nowadays. Well, to me, it is. I mean, uh, that's big money. But nowadays, you say $300,000, people don't even look a second way. But back in that day, $300,000 was a lot of money. And uh, it was an impossibility. And uh, two independent Baptist preachers and two Southern Baptist preachers told my pastor, said, this is what you need to do. You need to sell it, pay all the bills off you can, and walk away. Uh, but that ain't what the Lord told him to do. And so anyhow, so he didn't. And, and so it took 18 years. It took him 18 years to ever get that uh, properties and debts and stuff paid off. And, and uh, anyhow, it's just amazing what the Lord did. Anyhow, and uh, my pastor, he was... Uh, he had come out of a Southern Baptist church, and because at that time there were a lot of trending ways in the Southern Baptist church of liberalism and stuff like that, and, and so he was he was pretty hard. He was pretty hard against the Southern Baptists, and you know, and understand, I and, and I, I mean it's right to stand for what's right, amen. But it's the same way with Independent Baptists. You can't clone us all under one of them. I mean, I know some Fruit Loops. If you just want to be honest with you, crazy as a day is long, amen. But. Anyhow, so Brother Doug got, he thought that was just right. He was just young and trying to do what was right. And, and, he, and, and they went through some difficult days. It went some very difficult days. And anyhow, he was praying. He needed, they needed help. Uh, his family had had to sell everything they had. They'd moved into the back of the church and converted it into a, a little apartment back there for him and his, uh, his wife and two kids. And and so anyhow, they needed uh, financial help. He was trying to run a Christian school, trying to keep everything above board. And it was just hard days, hard days. And he was praying. And uh, the church was struggling. They were taking everything they had to put toward debt. Anyhow, he went to the mailbox one day and got a letter. And it was addressed from Bellevue Baptist Church, Memphis, Tennessee. And he thought, Lord, why in the world is Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee sending me a letter? So he opened the letter. And the letter read like this. It said, Dear Pastor Powell, he said, I've heard of your great love and devotion to our Savior. And I just want you to know that I'm here 
praying for you and I'm supporting everything you do. And I want you to know that I'm asking God to meet every need of your life and help you to be a great witness in Milan, Tennessee. Signed, Dr. Adrian Rogers. With a personal check, Brother Todd, from his personal checking account, not from the church account, but from Dr. Adrian Rogers. And anyhow, my pastor said uh, that day I began to reevaluate uh, my attitude toward other people because I found out God can use whoever he wants to use. Amen. Amen. Tell you another story. I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's just really on my heart. I'm going to tell you this this morning. Um, they had moved into the back of the church living in that apartment. And anyhow, there was a man in our church that was our bus mechanic. We were still running buses. And I say we, I wasn't even thought of or at that time. But at our church, they were still running buses. And, and anyhow, he was, a, he, he was a construction man. That was his trade. He built houses. And anyhow, they had gotten a, um, they had got a, a, wind, a, a sliding glass door delivered to a work site. And when they dropped it off the truck, it broke the seal. Um, and so anyhow, so he called them back and said, hey, the guys messed this wind up. And so the guy at the lumberyard, and he said, I will just bring you another one. And he said, we'll just write that in the office damage, just throw it in the dumpster. And well, you just have to understand, you know, we, we, we're in our place, we don't throw nothing away. I mean, I mean, there's, you don't, you, there, you might can use something somewhere. You don't throw it away. And so anyhow, uh, Brother Bill brought that window to the church. And he said, Preacher, he said, and they, they lived in the back of the church. There were, there were no windows. Uh, the back door to the building was a solid metal, those old gray metal two doors, you know. And so he said, he said, you want to put this in? He said, <clears throat> he said, I know a guy can fix that, can fix that uh, window right there. And he said, yeah. <clears throat> so they took it out. One day, knocked that old, old door out, and uh, and they put that uh, that sliding glass uh, window in there, and they and he and, and he had uh, they work sites that he was at. They they would tell him just throw the lumber away, and he's like he said, no, I ain't gonna throw it away. And they said, well, we don't care, just get it out of here. So he had accumulated enough lumber. He built my pastor a deck, a little old deck, where him and his family could go out there and sit, and nothing big or elaborate, just very simple. Anyhow, one day that church was going through very difficult days and difficult times. Anyhow, my pastor said he was praying that God would uh, would meet this need and this. Need, and he would make, our pastor was a list maker. He'd make a list and he'd pray over these things. Anyhow, he said uh, the property there they had they had so had to focus on the buildings because there was so much. The buildings were falling apart, roof falling in, all that kind of stuff. I mean, him and his wife were in bed one day and, and got woke up because they felt water dripping in their face and. Anyhow, she woke him up, and when they got to themselves, said, there's water leaking through the roof, and he said, oh my, and he, and he was going to get up to look and touch the ceiling, and when he did, before he could touch it, it all fell right on top of him, uh, in the bed, right on top of him and his wife, and and uh, anyhow, Miss Pat just broke down in tears and cried and wept, and, and anyhow, and you just have to know my preacher, and uh, anyhow, he, I guess the devil must have hit him pretty hard, he said, you just need to close this thing down and leave, and Miss Pat told this story. Preacher didn't tell this. Miss Pat said, and she said, and of course, I'm not being off color when I say this, but she said, Doug jumped up in the middle of the bed in his T-shirt and his boxers and said, by the help and the grace of God, I ain't going nowhere. And she said, get out, Doug. We got to clean the bed up. Amen. But anyhow, but he had been praying about needs in the church, and it was nothing uncommon. It's kind of a funny situation. Um, my wife had a cousin that lived in that town, which was about an hour and a half, two hours from where we lived, but we ended up moving there. And her cousin worked for the power company. Come to find out, Brother Doug and her cousin knew each other well because he was the one that had to come turn the power off. 
whenever the bills wasn't paid. And so anyhow, he'd come, and instead of just like most of them would do, just turn the power off, he'd find Brother Doug, and he'd say, Preacher, he said, he said, i got to turn it off by 5 o'clock today. And Brother Doug would say, just give me to 5, give me to 5. And so I'm telling you, he'd go somewhere and get in the corner and pray. And God always make provision. And uh, anyhow, he said he was in a low place, and he was praying, asking God to do something for their church. I mean, about 12 people, most of them were all women, and there was two two older men and trying to keep a Christian school going and all that kind of stuff. And he said, he was just sitting on a couch and he was just looking out those sliding glass uh, windows and that was before the man had come and fixed it. So you know how they get a little foggy when that seal breaks. And he said the grass, the, the back, the church sat on 11 acres, but most of it was not groomed or manicured and mowed. And, and he said the weeds were probably head high in the, in the back of the buildings. And he said, all of a sudden he said, I saw something going through the, through the weeds and he said I couldn't tell what it was and he said I didn't know if you because know, he said there were power poles back there they'd come work on and, and stuff like that he said I didn't know if it was them power people and he said and all of a sudden I just seen them go by and he said I'm sitting there looking at my list looking at my Bible I'm praying I'm talking to God and he said all of a sudden here, a little while passed he said all of a sudden here, it looked like a work crew he said all I could see was the looked like the top of head anyhow he said the third time they passed by the window he said I got I see what's going on so like I said, he lived in the back of the church, so he went through his apartment, through the Sunday school rooms, out into the sanctuary, into the, out the front door of the church. And when he got there, there was uh, two or three cars just parked there. It wasn't work trucks or anything like that. So about the time he got to the front of the building, Brother Todd, those people had time to come around, and, and it was seven Pentecostal women. He, and, brother, and this is my pastor's words. He said their dresses were dragging the ground. And he said their hair was touching the sky. And he said, and they were sweaty, and their, their hair was stuck to their face. He said, it was the middle of summer. And he said, uh, and you just have to know my pastor. He said, girls, what y'all doing? And they said, are you pastor pal? And uh, he said, I am. She said, well, preacher, she said, we meet every uh, Thursday morning for prayer meeting at our church. And she said, while we were praying this morning, she said, the Holy Ghost said, I want y'all to go down there and I want y'all to pray and march around that Emmanuel Baptist Church and ask God to meet their needs and help them. And he said, preacher, if you don't care, he said, she said, the Lord told us to march around this place seven times. She said, we got four more to go. And he said, girls, help yourself. Went back in there and he sat on his couch and he looked at that prayer list and there again, God showed him that sometimes the most unusual places is where your help will come from. Now understand, we don't believe Pentecostal doctrine. But you can't deny that even God, in the midst of a situation like that, sent somebody by just to encourage him at just the right time. And, and I want to say this this morning, and, and uh, I want to challenge you uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to tone in what I had to say because it's, this really been on my heart. Uh, you need to understand God's, your limitations do not affect the ability of God. Amen. You're going to, and, and I want to say this, Brother Todd, uh, when I say stuff like this, people look at me, you know, and, and like a murmur. I'm not complaining. I thank God for the days when we didn't have groceries. Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't thankful that day. But I tell you what it did, it taught me and my wife how to get on our knees and talk to God. 
And what it did is it taught us to trust God for to do what we can't do. Amen. And I thank God for the days that the car tore up and I didn't have the money in the bank to fix it. Because what we had to do is we had to learn how to trust God in situations where we could not help ourselves. And can I tell you, I, I, go, I, I never will forget years ago when me and my wife got married, uh, when we started seeing each other, she had, her, daddy, her daddy had never done this. She had drove for most of her teenage life, she drove an old beat-up station wagon. Now, what teenage girl wants to drive a beat-up station wagon? She said, I didn't have a choice. It wasn't like, it wasn't like kids going to their parents nowadays and saying, buy me that. And so anyhow, she drove that old station wagon. And then finally, when she got out of college and, and started working on her own, she went and bought her uh, first little car, a uh, little Honda Accord or something like that. Uh, but anyhow, my wife was, almost, was, was about to turn 23 years old, and her daddy said, Danette, he said, I want to do something for you. And she said, what, daddy? He said, I want to buy you a car. And he had went and bought her a car. Just blew her mind. He had never done nothing like that. And, 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 and this was his words. He said, don't look like you're going to get married no time soon. So... Uh, so anyhow, he bought her that car in April. We met each other in May. Amen. And so anyhow, but that car was not made for babies. And, and the Lord began to bless our home after we got married with children. And so Danette's daddy said, well, I'll tell you what to do. He said, you, you, if y'all are good with it, he said, you give me that car. And Danette's sister was just fixing to start driving. And I'll give, and, and Melanie can drive that car. And then and he said, I'll give y'all, uh, and they had, they had a 1988 Cadillac Sedan DeVille, blue, and it was the long one. I mean, it was the long one, amen. And I'll be honest with you, I was, listen, I was 19 years old when I got married, and I loved that car, amen. I, I did. I mean, not just the fact there's a Cadillac. I mean, I just loved the look. I loved that, that, that. It was just, I mean, that was awesome. I'm like, yes, 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 we will do that. We will do that, amen. But anyhow, and so anyhow, I, had, I learned early in the ministry, it's not good to drive a Cadillac, amen. It's really not. Anyhow, people got lots of opinions about preachers who drive Cadillacs, amen. See, anyhow, but what everybody didn't realize is this, is, uh, is uh, I was preaching on the weekends, and my seat broke in that Cadillac, and I went down to the uh, Cadillac dealership and said, I need to get this seat fixed. They told me it was going to be about $600 to fix a broken seat. And I said, nah. Yeah. So you, he said, what would you do? I went home, and I went out in my shed, and I found a yellow plastic bucket, amen. And I wedged that bucket between my We only had one child at the time, so I put her on the other side, and I wedged that yellow plastic bucket between the back of my seat and the back, and the, and the back seat, amen. And it held the seat up just fine, Amen. <clears throat> didn't, it, didn't, it didn't cost me nothing, amen. Uh, but anyhow, I was working in a factory. We had uh, <clears throat> we had a baby. We had taken in a 15 year old boy, and uh, his parents didn't want him, didn't, didn't care about him. He'd gotten saved. We took him in. He was living with us, and my wife was pregnant with uh, our second child. And anyhow, uh, we come Sunday. We paid our tithes, paid everything, and uh, I didn't have. We, I bought a few groceries to feed us, and I didn't have the money to put gas in my car. Now, that old Cadillac, it had a digital reader, had a digital reader. <clears throat> and I, that was just something else that blew my mind, you know what I'm saying? I didn't have one of these. It, it was like it was like F, you know, half, you know, three-fourths, and then the famous E, amen. So anyhow, I got up Monday morning about 5.30, quarter to 6, and got in the car and was headed to uh, work, and I looked down, and uh, it said E. And I, oh, man. I thought I had more gas than that. I thought I'd had enough at least to get me through half the week. So anyhow, it, it had E. So anyhow, that was back before everybody had a cell phone, all that kind of stuff. I drove that car uh, to work and worked that day, and 
anyhow, it drove back home. And so I knew with it being low, if I, if I, and our driveway was very slanted, our garage where you went in. So I, I backed in because the, the feed was on the, on the back part of that tank. And so I knew if I did that, it would always start and get me out and get bounced off. So anyhow, my wife said, why'd you back in? I told her, she said, oh my. She said, I ain't got no, she said, I ain't got no cash. And I said, I ain't got, she said, I said, we're we just going to have to pray. So anyhow, long story short, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and uh, Thursday, I drove to work back home every day. Uh, Thursday, I got home from work. I backed it in just like I'd been backing it in all the time. And anyhow, we sat down to eat. My wife had fixed supper, and we'd sit down to eat. Anyhow, Daniel was sitting there, and, and, uh, and, uh, and Beth was in her high chair, and I was there. My wife, bless her heart, she was in the motherly way, in a terrible way. And, and anyhow, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, and, and like I said, it's just a different day. I, I, I normally didn't do it, but for some reason I'd left my keys in my car. And all of a sudden we hear the car start. And all of a sudden we're sitting there and we turn around and about the time we look, uh, we had a, a, a picture window in the front of the house. Uh, there went my, that blue Cadillac out the driveway. And so anyhow, I just sat there. I thought, uh, anyhow, so I just, I picked up my fork and took another, and Daniel said, uh, 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 and he called me daddy. He said, daddy, ain't you going to do something? I said, I said, son, if they don't know how to pray, they're not going to make it very far. <laughs> and he had an answer, ain't that the truth, amen? So we just went ahead and ate our meal. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what? You know, and I, really, I'm just trying to be cool, not overreact, and all that kind of stuff. And so we sat there, and we finished our meal, and, and I got up, and uh, we was putting our plates away and all that kind of stuff. And anyhow, when I got to... When I turned to walk toward the door, somebody knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and there was my preacher. And anyhow, he, he stuck out his hand, and he had a little roll of money. I think it was $35. And he said, that'll buy you some lunch tomorrow. He said, he said that, uh, that car's pretty empty. I said, yes, sir. See, but had it not been for an empty tank, I would have never known a providing Savior. We'll spend a lot of our lives trying to avoid situations that God's trying to teach us something in. Now, let me challenge your heart real quick. I want you to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 16. I'm going to take just five minutes. And uh, Brother Todd, thank you. God has used you in my heart this morning. I say this often about preachers and preachers' wives, and, I, and I'll say this here to Miss Stamper too. The fact of the matter is, is this: preachers operate on a call, and preachers' wives operate by choice. And uh, you pastors or preachers' wives, thank you for making the choice. I, I thought we couldn't do what we do uh, if our wives were not understanding of the call of God. Because it's not easy. Because I know where he's at, but it's on the opposite side. My wife's the one at home worried about me laying in a, in a motel somewhere or laying somewhere having a kidney spot and kidney stone knowing i got to go to church at night and preach. And, and I understand that. We understand that. And she doesn't get to go with me all the time. And uh, Anyhow. And so I, I appreciate you preacher's wives operating because it's not the most popular position in the world, that's for sure. 
Book of Luke chapter number 16. I know, I know, I know we all know this chapter well, and I don't want you to let the familiarity of it, but I want you to look at one thing. I want you to look at one thing. Uh, the Bible said this in verse number 25, and Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. Uh, had I preached this entire message this morning, I'd have preached to you on this thought on living it up and losing it all. And we got a picture of a man who lived it up. Verse 19 tells that. We see his prosperity in life, his pleasure in life, and his position in life. But can I say this? There was a price to his prosperity, there was a plight to his pleasure, and then there was a plunge to his position. He lost it all. But yet we find an old beggar that finds the mercy and the favor uh, in Christ and, and, and goes into paradise. And now he's comforted while the rich man's tormented. But as we begin to evaluate the rich man's prayer, and never will forget, I've got it written in my Bible, Brother Stennett Blue's outline on the cry of Luke 16. We see the cry of misery, the cry of mercy, the cry of memory. But of course, you know Brother Blue in only his style and way. He said, then we see the cry of missions. And, and that's what I want to talk to you just, to, just about a few minutes. Do you see and realize this? Uh, in verse number 27, and, and, and when he understands, after he understands there's a gulf, there's, 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 listen, you ain't coming over here, he's not coming over there, none of that stuff's going, it's, it's just ain't happening. It's, your, your time is expired, your opportunity is expired. And he makes this statement, and then he, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, in verse 27, that thou would ascend into my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torments. Can I say this, and this is what I want to challenge your heart about this morning, uh, church, can I say this? We see the failure of the Father. Now, now I, I'm not going to speculate and I'm not going to predict and, and try to calculate just out of my opinions and thoughts because it would be pointless. I just want to take verbatim for what the Bible said uh, that the Father had failed to present Christ to these men. There was no presentation of a life devoted and given to God. And so we find that when this man gets to hell and he's in hell, and we, and I'm not going to take that, I know y'all know this, yeah, hey, we don't believe hell to be a state of mind or it is a literal place, amen. Uh, I don't know anybody in here that likes to burn your finger or burn yourself or something like that uh, because it hurts, amen. Just the least little, uh, and maybe some of you, I never will forget you burning my leg on my, on my stepdad's motorcycle one time. And uh, his tailpipe, and I, I still bear a scar to this day, about that big, on the side of my right side of my ankle. Uh, uh, from that, and, and it, it hurt. It hurt bad for a long time. And so this man is in torment, and he is in the torments of hell. We find that word torment, torments, tormented, there mentioned three or four different times. But the reality of it is, is this: somehow in the midst of that place, he's able to not be as consumed with the torment of hell as he becomes consumed with a burden for five brothers. And can I say this? We don't even really see any kind of acknowledgement about the concern of his father coming to that same place. Maybe he is already passed and he's not there and these brothers are still abiding in his father's house. But his concern is his five brothers. And the concern is, is this, I've got five brothers lest they come to this place also. And can I say this, uh, the reality of it is, is this, he in hell, uh, can I say this, number one, his doctrine gets cleared up. 
Because we find in hell, he starts talking about repentance and all that kind of stuff. And listen, we got educated men nowadays running around, can't get settled on repentance, what the Bible says, amen? But hell cleared up the doctrine of repentance for him, amen? Uh, he said, they'll repent, they'll repent. And so anyhow, we find the burden that takes, the, the burden that's there, and, and, and we see because of the failure of his father. But the reason why this burden is there is because of the future of five brothers, Five brothers are headed to this very same place. Why, why be concerned about uh, the, that little church and that little place and that town? Why? Why? And, and you're exactly right, Brother Todd. I travel. When I take my trips out west, I, my wife, the last time she went with me, every town we drove through, she'd Google it right quick, look for churches. You couldn't find them. There were even times we'd get off the road and drive through little communities. And, and e e even Catholic churches would be uh, in a state of d demise and even shut down or stuff like that. And so, uh, and, so and, and, we, and I'll be honest with you, I never, knew, I never realized that until I first started helping in missions and doing stuff helping missionaries. But, but it's the very same case right here. We've got towns. We've got communities. We've got uh, whole entire counties that don't have fundamental Bible-believing Baptist churches in the day in which we live. And boy, that's sad. And that's about as far as it goes. But see, this old boy gets to hell and he gets a real burden. He gets a real a burden. I mean, to the point that, that he's not talking about, I need, I, need, I need water in my tongue. I'm tormented. I'm, he's not consumed with the torment. The, the, the fact he's tormented greater by the fact that five brothers are coming this same place. Five people, obviously, that I love, I care about, are headed to this very same place. And he said, do something. Send Lazarus over. And I want to say this. And, 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 and you've got to understand, we're talking about a carnal man's mindset. He said, if they could see something big, they'll repent. He said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. How shall they hear without a preacher? Can I tell you something? And, and, and Abraham even identified then that, it, that they've got to be responsive to what they hear, not what they see. And can I say this? We're living in a day where men are building, and I want to say it this way, their ministries off what people see. Off their, off their presentation, off the lights and the, and the glitz and the glamour and the glitter. Can I say something? That's what they taught us when, when I traveled in Southern Gospel Music. I lived on and off buses. We had to be the next flashy thing. When we went on stage, we had to dress to get people's attention. Amen. You got to dress flashy. They taught, us, they taught us how at the certain part of the song, Brother Todd, they taught us all that uh, stage performance at the certain part of the song. Man, if you'll act like you're crying, boy, it'll move people. I watched it. I, I, many times if I wasn't singing, I was sitting on a piano playing, and I watched them, and it's called working the crowd. That's what it's called. I never will forget, I got off the bus, and me and the, about the guy that sang bass with us, they put us in the same room, and we were in a motel in Texas. I was sick, I was saved, uh, and, and that's about as doctrinally found, founded as I was. That's all I had going for me. But I, I knew in my spirit that all that joke wasn't right. I called, she wasn't my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. I called my soon-to-be wife, my girlfriend, and she answered the phone. And I called her collect. I'm glad she answered instead of her daddy. Amen. He'd have probably rejected the call. And I said, Danette, I said, when I get home, my feet will never step on this bus again. 
And she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm laying in a bathroom floor in Texas. And I'm so sick, I can't see straight. And I've not got a stomach virus. I said, but I'm sick of this performance. And can I tell you something? When I got home, I cleaned my bunk out, cleaned our, my part of the bus out. And they said, what are you doing? I said, and, and I, I'm just going to be transparent. I lied. I said, oh, everything needs to go home and get washed. And I, I, would, I, I wouldn't even tell them. I wouldn't even tell them because I knew they weren't going to understand. He said this. He said, uh, he said send Lazarus because that will that'll impress them. He said, they don't need to be impressed, but they need to hear. And so anyhow, the summation of this little sad ending of this story here is, is this. Is that he looked at him in verse number 30 and he said, and he said unto him, and here it is again. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He said, your tricks and your shenanigans are not going to work. This is the reality of what I want to challenge you about this morning. And, and a lot of times, and I've not preached this message much, but when I do, everybody always oh, it's going to be a message to sinners, and I do reach for sinners. I don't try to I'm never go to church and don't reach for a sinner. And, uh, but the reality is this, I, I want to talk to you that are saved. It's one thing to operate with a burden, but it's another thing to operate with a burden, but to get your burden too late. And see, this is the problem with this man in hell. His tears were real. His cries were real. His heartache for the five brothers were real. And can I say this? I don't know if those five brothers made it or not. But you mark it down. What he was expressing was very real because of the reality of where he was. But he got his burden too late. And can I say something? Uh, if your goal and desire is, is to pack a church, that's the wrong goal and desire. But if your goal and desire is to point sinners to Christ, then you're headed in the right direction. Amen. So I want to challenge you. Do not let, and I want to say this, don't let the obscurity of where you are. I'm telling you, I prayed more coming down that road the other night than I prayed in a long time. I, I ain't been ugly. I, I'm so spiritual, I felt like I didn't need to pray much anymore. That, that road right there completely changed my mind about that. Amen. Y'all know I'm kidding. What I'm saying is, is this. This is an obscure place. But every time I've seen God like to work, He really likes to work in obscurity. Yeah, amen. amen. Uh, can I say something? You don't have to have all the bells and the whistles that the world says you have to have for God to do a work. But I want to say this, but don't find yourself standing around saying, man, I wish we had of. Man, I wished I had of prayed. Man, I wished I had of witnessed. Uh, man, I wished I had of done this. And can I tell you something? I'm 53 years old, and, I, and I've been preaching for 32 years. I've been traveling for 32 years, and I've pastored in the midst of that and still travel. And when I pastored, I didn't travel as much, but I traveled to some degree. And can I tell you something? I saw a lot of things change. Brother Todd was talking about getting saved and all that kind of stuff, and I was thinking, huh. I saw, I've done been married eight years. You said 98, 98 when you got saved? I'd, 99? I've done been married nine years. We had two children. I was already pastoring my first church. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying this. I, I, I want to say this. I'm gonna say, I, just, I don't know how to say it. This, this, it's really what's on my heart today. But can I say this? Don't wait too late to get your burden. Don't wait too late. Can I say this? He, he sees these five brothers, and, and I could say so many things, 
But can I say something? Uh, with, with, his address, with his address to Abraham, his concerns were rejected and his cries were rejected. He waited and went too far to make a difference. Can I say this? I've asked the Lord, and like I said, I've been doing this for 32 years. I've been preaching for 32 years. And because of the years of traveling and singing and because of, uh, of the little town that I lived in, when I surrendered to preach, everybody knew, so churches would call and have me to come. I mean, when me and my wife got married, uh, I took her one, one date. I took her on. I took her to the, to, I started to say the funeral home. It wasn't the funeral home. The nursing home. She said, what are we going to do? I said, I said, you want to do something Friday night? She said, yeah, what are you going to do? I said, let's go to the nursing home. She said, the nursing home? I said, yeah. I said, they're having a, uh, they're having a pajama party for the, for the residents there at the nursing home. And I said, they've asked me to come sing. And she said, all right. So you know what? I, 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 we, we had just gotten married. And, 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 and oh, that, yeah, we had just gotten married. We had just gotten married. We had been dating. And we had just gotten married. And, uh, and, and I, she ordered me. Uh, she ordered me one of them old-timey uh, night shirts that men used to wear, you know, way, way down. Anyhow, and I wore pajamas underneath it, and she wore her pajamas and her house coat. And we went up in that, in that nursing home, all them old people, and we went room to room, gathered them all, brought them down, every one of them in their pajamas. And uh, one, listen, one old man, Mr. Fisher, I loved old Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher always had a pocket knife and always threatened to stab me with it. But I loved that old man. Amen. He'd, 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 he'd show it to me, and I'd say, Psh. He'd open it and he'd say, and I'd say, you can't catch me. He said, but I can. But, but I, we, can I, we just, that was just in me and her both. And anyhow, then I surrendered to preach, and then they called me the one-man band. He can preach, he can sing, he can roll you in, he can roll you out. I mean, that's what the, they said, the one-man band's coming. And that's what we did. Can I say something? I, don't, I look back, but I don't regret any of those days of ministering to those old folks, singing to them, and, Rolling them in, rolling them out, and praying with them. Some of them, sometimes they sit there, they just weep and cry, and they tell you their problem. I love that. I look back, I don't regret that. Can I say something? If there's any regrets, I regret not doing it more. This is what I want to say to you. Don't let your cries and your concerns be too late. Because if they don't hear, they won't repent. I've been asking the Lord lately to help me to be more bold in my witness. I get tangled up, Brother Todd, you understand this, I get tangled up in the busyness of traveling and, and you know, trying to work from an iPad and a computer, or not a computer, but a phone and a, an iPad and get the responsibilities of home under, keep everything paid, the bills paid and all that kind of stuff. And I just had to realize I was getting too consumed with all that stuff and I wasn't being the witness. So I've asked the Lord to help me to be more sensitive to be a witness. Anyhow, the kids took me out for Father's Day last week before I left. And, uh, we were sitting in a restaurant, and uh, anyhow, I kept noticing this young man walking by, and he had a big silver cross, chain and cross hanging around his neck, and he was like the head waiter, you know, because he was telling all the other waiters what to do, and, and he was a young man himself, and so anyhow, he kept, and every time he'd go by, just like that cross would just stick out to me, and so anyhow, he was over two tables down from us, cleaning, cleaning helping a, a server clean a table, and so anyhow, she'd walked away, and so anyhow... My kids, we were all at the table, and of course my goofy kids acting like they always do, crazy and always talking and laughing. I just got up and walked off, left them all sitting there. And anyhow, because uh, I, I, I noticed that young man was over there, and I thought, here's me an opportunity. I went over there, and I said, I said hey, man, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. And I, and I pointed, and I didn't call it a cross. I pointed at that cross around his neck. I pointed at that, and I said, what's that mean to you? 
He said, excuse me? I said, what does that mean to you? He said, uh, and he picked it up. And I said, yeah, what does that mean to you? He, he said, what do you mean? I, I, I mean, I, you're wearing it, so you must like it. I said, what does it mean to you? And I said, you understand that, that there was a man one time gave his life on a cross. And he said, oh, yes, sir. He said, I got this after I got baptized. I said, oh, that's good. I said, so you know, you know the story of Christ? And he said, yes, sir. I said, so you know to, know to to go to heaven, you have to have Christ in your heart? Oh, yes, sir. He said, that's the reason why I'm wearing this, because I got that after I got baptized. He kept telling me that. And I said, I understand. I understand. I said, but the most important thing is, is, is you got to know you're saved, that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, what's your name, son? He said, my name's Bo. I said, Bo, it's nice to meet you. I said, don't ever forget what a great price was paid on that cross for you. He said, yes, sir. And honey, when I went back, to, and I, I found out how to shut my kids up, amen. I went back, they was all just sitting there staring at me. They said, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, uh, trying to point somebody to Jesus. And I said, kids, don't ever let your life get so busy that you, ne- that you lose opportunities. And uh, we went, they went back to eating and we were talking. But, but I, 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 Brother Todd, I'll be honest with you, I'm at, the, I'm at a point in my life, I spent the first part of my ministry trying to make an impression but now I'm spending these days not so much even trying to make a difference. But I, but I, I want to make it clear that Jesus is the most important thing. Uh, these, I, know you, I know you folks got to be tired and wore out. I know you have. These days of meetings, I know what they do to you. But I want to say this. Don't let the busyness of life rob you that, hey, you may not be many, and you may not be many when you get to, to the outer coast out there. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And, and, and let this world see Christ in you. Amen. Let this world see Christ in you. I, I, I've been picking on these, on these boy kids. I, I, thought, I thought, I can't never remember names. And I thought, I, I remember this. I can call them boys Larry, Moe, and Curly. Because they look like stooges, amen. And anyhow, I, I thought a little bit there, Reagan, I can call her Darla. Y'all remember Darla from the little rascal? She don't look nothing like her. I don't know why. That's, that's the way my twisted mind works. But boys, listen at me. Reagan, listen at me. Even at your age right now, you have the power to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And sometimes they'll come closer to listening to you than they will your mom and dad. Amen. Amen. You don't have to be a preacher. Amen. To tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. I mean, I, I was watching, I was watching all these babies, and I was watching, I was watching these parents struggling with these babies, and I'm like, God, you know what I'd pay to go back to those days? I'd sell my right arm sometimes to go back to that. I'd hold them a little longer. I'd pray over them a whole lot harder. I sure would, because when they get old, when they little, they walk on your feet. When they get older, they walk on your heart. Amen. Church, thank you. Y'all been so good. I'm telling you, I've laid over like a king in that good bed. I'd go out on that little back porch and listen to that water ripple by until all them naked people come down through there and I'd have to go back in. Amen. I started once to open the door and say, y'all go home. I'm trying to spend some time with God. Amen. 
But Todd, thank you for being the man of God you are. You and your sweet wife, thank you. Brother Boyd, thank you all for giving your lives. Church, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If it's all right, preacher, I want to pray. And then slip over to the piano and you can close there if you want to. And uh, if the Lord spoke to your heart today, the man of God preached his heart to you. And uh, Father, I love you this morning. And my great God, what a privilege it is to be your child today. And after I've listened to the man of God preach, I am so overwhelmed. <laughs> I would not be where I am today if not those Andrews in my life that loved me and pointed me to Christ. And Lord, I've had the privilege to serve you. I've had the privilege these days to be with these fine people. God, the heritage that is here and the group of people that you've called and assembled and given them a task and a responsibility, I pray you'd bless this place and help it to prosper and grow for your honor and glory, not for people's medals or buttons or labels or identification, but that your name may be glorified and honored. And God, I pray Lord, over every person under the sound of my voice, if there would be somebody here today lost and without God, you'd save them before it's eternally too late. God, I would shudder to think that I would have to stand before you someday and be buffeted and rebuked because I failed to share the gospel with any congregation that had been entrusted to me. And Father, I pray today that you'd help the minds, maybe of those that have never trusted you, come to an understanding that God, you love them and your son gave his life and he paid the price for their sins. And he said in his word that whosoever would come unto him, he would in no wise cast them out. God, I pray for this body of believers that you would help them, strengthen them as they labor and work. And God, you, I look on this hillside and you have blessed them. You've favored them greatly. God, monetarily. And God, I pray that you would help them. God, help this place to be a lighthouse in this community. Help this place to be a place that God uh, makes a difference in the lives of people. I pray for Brother Stamper and his wife and his family. I pray you'd bless them and help them. I pray you'd strengthen them. The adversary would love to defeat them and discourage them. But God, I pray, uh, God, that you would put days like these days that they've spent all week in the meetings and the messages and the songs that have been sung that have helped and encouraged that you'd bring these things to mind. And God, I pray you'd help us, everyone here, God, Brother Todd and his sweet wife and God, his family, I pray you'd bless them and help them, God, as they travel and do, God, what you've called them to do, that God, uh, more than we would focus on the monetary things of this life, let our hearts be stirred to an awareness of that we are the light of this world. And I'm afraid so often I have failed to shine like I should. But God, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in this dark, dark world. And God, that people may know that Jesus is real. He's not just a name. He's not just a, 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 a painted image on a canvas. But God, he's real. And his love is real. 
And what he did for us is real. And God, I pray that you'd help us. God, you meet our needs, I ask it in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.